Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Get ready for 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into time with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller on the line. What's up, Ron? Merry after Christmas. Everything good? Everything is great, Dave. Thank you very much. Appreciate asking, and uh, I hope it's been a great Christmas for everybody out there listening. I really appreciate everybody getting on there with us again today, and uh, we got a heck of a ride today, Dave. I'm really looking forward to it. Before we start, uh, right here on the opening of the show, you know, we've lost so many great ones this year, but um, boy, uh, on Christmas Day, we we lost... uh, in my opinion, maybe the greatest of all of them. Uh, wow! We lost Danny Hodge, and that's uh, a huge statement. Wow! Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, and I, and I, and I don't think I'm exaggerating there when I say that. And Danny Hodge and I uh, and my family goes back a, a long, long time. He's great friends with my father and my grandfather, my grandfather's brothers, all the Welches from my generation. Uh, he just was around forever and just so admired and respected. Uh, and I'm going to do the next Super Stud cast on, as a tribute to Danny Hodge. And I'm hoping to have a lot of great Oklahomans on there with me, uh, wrestlers for sure, and some from Oklahoma, that uh, where Danny was from. And uh, just uh, real, real sad to hear about it. Uh, and uh, I really send my condolences to his, his wife and their, his family out there. And uh, there'll never be another Danny Hodge. That's about all I can say. Well. Hey, listen, I want to tell you again that we had a lot of fun checking out the pictures and the videos because your son and your grandson visited at your place and you actually got down in the floor like kids and did some wrestling moves with them over the holiday. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, it, I was blown away. Uh, gosh, uh, had, uh, we had way over 30,000 views of, wow. of that oh. little uh, wrestling e- exhibition, my son and I. Just showing him the fuller leg lock and the easy way to do it. And uh, wow, I, I was just blown away by how many people enjoyed watching that as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for bringing that up. And I also ran a picture with my grandson, who's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's me, Rob, and my grandson standing in the middle. And he's 14 years old and he's taller than Rob. 
That is just absolutely amazing. You can find those on Facebook, and it's also on your Twitter page too, right? Yeah. All right. Both, it's on both sites. So, uh, yeah. That was and, a, uh, yeah. a lot of fun. All right. Now, you mentioned the Studcast earlier, and you're going to be paying tribute to Danny Hodge in the very near future. Super Studcast number 36 has exploded in popularity. Not surprised. Coco Beware opens it up with history and fun. And then, of course, it's the very merry Fuller Brothers Christmas special that takes it to another level. I've never, I don't think I've ever listened to a super stud cast. This one is a great place to start. If you've never heard one, you got to check it out. I bet you got something to say about that one. That was, that was a lot of fun with Coco. And then you get your brother in the mix. I thought oh, that was gosh, cool. man, uh, not only my brother, but uh, gosh, I got a special guest. Uh, I don't know where Jimmy golden calls in man. And, uh, so, gosh, the Welches are on there plenty, and we talk Christmas, and, boy, some crazy stories. My brother's in the CIA before it's all over and uh, <laughs> doing undercover work, which he did yeah. a lot of, you know. <laughs> all right, there's going to be – I'm sure there's more on this one later in the studcast. All right, so we are saddled up and ready to go. Where are we riding today? Well, before we start today, Dave, I, I want to thank all of the listeners out there for just the opportunity to be 180 episodes in. Uh, it's just amazing, man. I, I never believed when I started this that I would get to this point. And now I look at where I am in my career, and, and there's going to be a lot more of them, it seems like it. And, uh, and, I, and I'm proud of all the episodes I've done. But I got to say in advance of this one, I think this one to me is liable to be the best studcast ever. Wow. Uh, and, and, and I say that because it begins in one of the best years ever for Southeastern and for, for wrestling in the South. I mean, what happened in Southeastern in 1977 is just going to explode business there. We're going to become famous all over the world as the best small territory maybe in the history of the sport. And uh, it just, we really light things up. So uh, so we're going to finish this one today by finishing up 1976, and we're going to do that into today's training. And this one, basically, the, the day's training is going to focus on the accomplishments of a new wrestling company that was formed in 1974. And we're going to, during this today's training, assess my performance, basically, as the man who was wearing all the hats. <laughs> you know, I was the one-man show. I was the owner, the booker, the promoter, and the wrestler. Right. You know, I was everything you could be in the wrestling business. And uh, we'll do this uh, by looking at just three cards. Uh, and uh, people can kind of decide whether, you know, how, how I'd done in my first two, two years in wrestling. These three cards are going to come in three different years, and I'll give you the attendances of the cards. And uh, I think these three cards are going to tell the total story. So basically, I'm going to jump right in, my man. Uh, you know, we're going to race into 1977, man, uh, Southeastern's third straight fantastic year. I mean, the growth has been phenomenal, but we are reaching now a point to where it's going to explode. Uh, it's going to go far beyond I ever dreamed it would go. And we're going to look at the first Coliseum card since the Terry Funk match of October 10th, 1976. Yeah. And it's going to be the first of a record number of Coliseum shows in 1977. We're just booking now as many dates as we can get in the Coliseum. Uh, we're going to reveal this phenomenal card of January 2nd, 1977. And this one, we'll talk about the great TV that promoted it 
And the results of that Sunday afternoon in early 1977, talk about the attendance just briefly. And a new Southeastern star is going to be born on that day. I mm. mean, he's going to rock it. He's going to tear the house down uh, in his first appearance that day. Andre the Giant is going to be on that card. And for the first time in Southeastern, he's going to be in the territory for more than just one day. Oh. And in a tribute to Andre, I'm going to tell an untold Andre the Giant story today, too. So, <laughs> All right. And then we're going to get to the learning tree, hopefully. And it's from a lady this time. And she asked this question, uh, who do you think was the most important wrestler ever in southeastern Knoxville and why? So uh, that's our show for today. It sounds like you and Southeastern Wrestling were prepared for the return to the Coliseum and headed for another record year. I can't wait for the Andre story, too. I, I, I got to see if we've heard that one. All right, so my horse is saddled up and ready. Where are we riding first? Okay, uh, well, before we ride, you know, I, I hear you have – do you have another new horse, Dave? I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't uh, know why you I question I talked about last week's horse, but I figure – and the way it's going, you got a new one too. Um, I do actually. Last week's horse was Admiral Limpalong, but I'm I'm retiring him, so I'm going with a new you. horse. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. There, there is a new uh, there is a new horse. It's Montezuma's Revenge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, that stinks. <laughs> well. Listen, you, you've insulted my horse every week, so I'm going to have to cut you off at some point. <laughs> well, you know, last week's horse, I thought that name, you know, Admiral Limpelong, he sounded yeah. like he was lame to me to begin with. <laughs> I took him I behind know. the shed, put him down. He's, <laughs> he's done. Greener pastures. Okay, man. So, well, you know, so you're riding Montezuma's <laughs> Revenge this week, man, uh, yeah. you know. Why not? Uh, and I look damn good on him. Yeah, I bet. But, but I hope he don't have to make a lot of frequent stops. <laughs> <laughs> be prepared for <laughs> anything. we got to be covering a lot of ground today. I hope his name isn't the way he's going to handle business today. I don't, I don't even know what you mean by that. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so we're, going to ride, we're going to begin this ride by assessing, like I said earlier, uh, how I did building my first wrestling company. Uh, Southeastern Knoxville. Obviously, I was wearing all the hats for my first yep. two years and two months. So to quickly find the answer, I decided, man, the easy way to do this is let's just look at three cards. So one in 1974 around Christmas time, one in Christmas of 75, one in Christmas of 76, and compare their attendances as well as the talent. And I think this will be a pretty great gauge of the success that Southeastern was having, maybe in why. So let's start with the December 27, 1974 card, two days after Christmas. It was on a Friday night in Chilhai Park, as all three of these first three Christmas shows are in Chilhai Park. First match that night was Rocky Smith against Sam Bass. Sam Bass is going to later be managing in uh, Knoxville, uh, Ron and Don Bass. Ed Kowalski against a guy named Pierre Bonnet. Dale Lewis was taking on Ray Candy. Les Thatcher and Nelson Royal wrestled against Dutch Mantell and John Foley. And the main event was Ron Wright against me. The attendance was 1,200 people. Uh, now, you got to bear in mind, this is just 10 weeks after I wrestled my first match in Knoxville. 
and 10 weeks after Southeastern held its first event in Knoxville. So let's take a look a year later on Thursday, Christmas night in 1975. It was the first Southeastern Christmas Spectacular. Then to see how the talents progressed, first match was Dennis Hall versus Bill Bowman, Jack and Roy Lee Welch versus Jerry Myatt and Tony Peters, Jimmy Golden versus Tiny York, Ron Wright and Ron Fuller versus Norvell Austin and Butch Malone, managed by Homer O'Dell, and Robert Fuller versus Don Carson in the main event. Mm. So if you think about it, and I looked at this, in one year, I had added to the territory Jimmy Golden, Norvell Austin, Butch Malone, Homer O'Dell, Don Carson, and my brother. Yep. The attendance on this second Christmas that we're talking about doubled. It went from 1,200 people to 2,400 people. Wow. Wow. So let's compare one year later on a Christmas night of 1976. First match was Rip Smith versus the Gladiator, Jim Dalton. Don Wright versus Big Bad John. Four corners match. Ron Wright, the great Mephisto, Don Carnoodle, and Louis Tillette. Bob Armstrong and Jimmy Golden versus Kurt and Carl Von Steiger. Robert Fuller versus Ronnie Garvin, managed by Big Bad John. So if you look at that card compared to the one just a year earlier, I had added the gladiator, Jim Dalton, good worker, uh, been star in many, many territories, the great Mephisto, Louis Tillette, mm-hmm. Kurt and Carl Von Steiger, Bob Armstrong, Big Bad John, and Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> so basically, now, if you look at that card, it's pretty much top wrestlers from the bottom of that card, just right up to the top. The attendance is where it was really a big difference. The attendance went to 4,200 fans, wow. which was 400% bigger than the first year and twice as big as the second year. No kidding. Wow. So, I mean, uh, you know, we're doing pretty good in that direction. So. Southeastern was obviously riding a 10, at this point, too, a 10 straight match weeks of 4,000 fans in Hillhouse Park. It was an unheard of number in Knoxville history. It was even more impressive by the fact that uh, every one of those crowds was drawn in the last 10 weeks before Christmas. No kidding. Yeah. That, that was the most difficult time of year anywhere in the world for a wrestling company to accomplish that type of feat. Yeah, I mean, people we are were. thinking about yeah, they're thinking about where their money's got to go and how much they got to have ready for the holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they they say they save that money. Uh, they they want to spend it on Christmas stuff, and obviously, we've got their attention, and they're wanting to come every Friday night. It didn't make any difference. So uh, I'm not going to judge myself by these accomplishments, but but I don't mind pointing them out. You know, in only two years. <laughs> <laughs> this was just a few things that had happened there, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, not only had Knoxville suddenly become a major drawing weekly city in America, but it had grown from a two-city-a-week operation into a legitimate territory with wrestlers working six nights a week. Uh, that's in a two-year period of time. All those new cities around Knoxville and in that area that had never, ever seen live wrestling before we started running those. They started out with about 500 fans, and now they had grown like Knoxville had grown. And many of those towns were drawing 2,000, some 3,000 fans per event. 
depending on the size of the buildings. That was the only limit to us were the size of the buildings. Harlan and Hazard, Kentucky, per capita population, were outdrawing Knoxville. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> you know, wow. uh, Harlan, Kentucky had 3,000 population assigned going into town, and we were drawing 3,000 people. We were drawing 100% of the town's population. So That's incredible. Wow. It was incredible. So yeah. schools throughout the southeast area were able all of a sudden to purchase things for their students. And the money didn't come for the first time from taxpayers. It came from a wrestling company. <laughs> and, you know, we were supporting these schools and they were able to get things they've never gotten before because we were letting them, allowing them to, to use us. And we were using their gymnasiums. It worked out great for both of us. A win-win for everybody. Yeah. And that tiny little television station and the tiny little ratings that were there when I came to town in Knoxville. Boy, they got blown up, man, by uh, compliments of that Tennessee television station, WBIR, that had the biggest, strongest signal in the state of Tennessee. They cranked us into five states, and wow, we were able to really take off. So wrestling at this point had suddenly become the second largest sporting event in the area. It was led only by the University of Tennessee's football team. Uh, And in the next two years, Southeastern Wrestling is going to pass Tennessee's football team and become the number one spectator sport in East Tennessee. <laughs> you got uh, be- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, because the Tennessee team has 10 games a year, but they only have five home games. They have a 100,000-seat right. building, so yeah. a 100,000-seat stadium. They're going to draw 500,000 people, but we're going to draw a million people. Holy it's, cow. <laughs> it's 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 amazing, you know, just amazing what's what's happening. So wrestling had for the first time in Knoxville history had outgrown out Chihai Park. And uh, we had to begin running in the Coliseum. So now we were well on our way to uh, full time in the Coliseum. We're getting every date we can get in nineteen seventy-seven. We changed the perception of the sport from small time and insignificant that appealed to only a few people, hillbillies, a lot of them call them, all of a sudden we were mainstream and the talk <laughs> of just about everyone everywhere in that part of the country. Uh, we were contributing to charities. We were becoming a respected part of the community. Uh, that was very odd for wrestling. Wrestling had a hard time getting there, and we were making that happen in those days. Southeastern had grown from a company that had very little advertising when I got there, to advertising almost everywhere, including on the monster billboards along the freeways. And uh, with all these accomplishments, it was basically just the beginning. That's why I'm so thrilled about this show is that, you know, the largest building in the city, the Knoxville Coliseum, is not going to be big enough to hold all our fans. I mean, Southeastern Wrestling, in just over two years, we had become the biggest story in the history of that part of the country. Well, you were obviously doing certain things. You were doing a lot of things right, no doubt about that. I mean, it's very fascinating about the beginning of Southeastern's history. And I'd have to say that you did an amazing job of building the sport in a very short period of time. I'm wondering what the people that were there ahead of you, if they were looking at you going, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we do that? So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they, you know, and uh, it, it was a great guy that was there, John Kazana, and he'd had a brother that had been there many years before him. 
Uh, and, and I'm sure that John was taking a look at it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, what happened? It was just a uh, it it was just amazing, and uh, you know, and I think John, knowing him, great guy, he had been very happy, very happy for us. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, good deal, Ryan. All right, so where are we riding next? Well, as I said earlier, we're going to open the Coliseum doors for the first time in 1977 in this one, and this is an absolutely tremendous card on January second, 1977. And this card is going to kind of set the tone and the scale for the entire year. It's going to open with three Cadillac tournament matches. And the, the first one's going to be Rip Smith against Louis Tillet. The second one is going to be Ron Wright versus the new gladiator, Jim Dalton. <laughs> the third tournament match is going to be a new person that they have never seen in this building that, uh, Hmm. Is going to he's going to tear this building down in his first appearance. The Mongolian Stompers making his first appearance. He has no manager on this day, and he's <laughs> wrestling against Don Carnoodle. There's a United States Championship match on this card: Bob Armstrong versus the champion Jerry Lawler. Hmm. That is just going to be phenomenal. A Southeastern Tag Championship matches on this card: the champions Kurt and Carl von Steiger are going to defend against Jimmy Golden and the returning Dick Steinborn. And the returning Steinborn, uh, he was obviously the first mask gladiator in Southeastern, but uh, he's going to come back and he's not going to wear a mask anymore. He's going to return after an injury that he suffered at the hands of the gladiator being one of those guys. Uh, The gladiator, the new gladiator called, uh, his name is Jim Dalton. And he's going to focus on getting even, obviously, with the so-called original gladiator that started wearing his identical mask and outfit <laughs> after he heard him. Yeah, he didn't even know he, he was wearing it. You know, right. he knew nothing about what had gone on after he got hurt. Then with the next match is Rob Fuller. My brother, man, is he's got the ultimate partner, by golly. I mean, you can't have a bigger or maybe better partner than Andre the Giant. And they're going to face <laughs> off against Ronnie Garvin and Big Bad John. Holy cow. Wow. And then the main event comes. The main event's a 16-man, two-ring, over-the-top rope, triple chance, battle royal, with $12,000 to be split between the two winners. That's pretty awesome. But there's something missing. I have not, I have not heard your name as far as being on the card. This is a lot like last week. So what what's up with it this week? I, I we know what happened last week, but what's up this time? Well, you know, I don't think it'd be it'd be fair to say anything about it, Dave. You know, I'm not on the card. That's what I'll say. Okay? Well, I mean, either way, you weren't kidding. The first Coliseum card in '77 was really fantastic, but I bet we're going to talk TV now, aren't we? Because I'm ahead of you today. This is going to be Saturday, January first, 1977, right, Ron? Uh. Do you mean Ron Wright? <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave. Ron Wright's on that card. Yeah, he's on that TV uh, card. He sure is. I said the TV for Saturday, January 1st, 1977. Right, Ron? So who's on first? Uh, that's that's what I thought you said. Do you mean Ron Wright or, or right Ron? You know? Oh, boy. I, I, I get it, Ron. Sounds like we're about to, to do the old Abbott and Costello thing. <laughs> who's on first baseball routine? All right, Ron. So tell us about the TV deal. <laughs> Well, I was, Dave. Ron Wright really was on the first match on that TV. I stepped right into that one, didn't I? 
Should have known. Oh, my. You, now you're talking about your horse, man. In Montezuma's Revenge. Boy, <laughs> I hope you really didn't step into something. This is this has got to stop, Ron. So we're, we're doing a stud cast here. All right. Your your attention deficit thing is a little <laughs> bit off today. So, all right. So where, where to now, Ron? <laughs> oh, okay. Clean off your boot. Okay. Done. Actually, Dave, we're, the show's, the, this show opens up with uh, the TV with Big Bad John and Ronnie Garvin at the set with Les. And uh, Ron writes uh, wrestling uh, after this opening. He's going to be on after this opening. Before I start with Big John and uh, Garvin, I have to say that this TV is basically a who's who of wrestling, man. It features some of the best wrestlers in the world at this time. Uh, it's a heck of a way on Saturday, January 1st, first day of the year. And the first TV of the year to start off. I mean, Big Bad John and Garvin had demanded that Les begin the show with the video of the end of the Christmas night main event from the Saturday before. So they've had a little time to think about this match. So uh, Rob had won the Southeastern Championship. And I think I described how he won it in the last studcast. But we're going to go back and kind of uh, and rehash some of that today. So they spent the morning, uh, Big Bad John and Garvin, up in the control room, and uh, they were putting this video together. They wanted to show the video again of how Garvin had lost his belt and how he had been framed. He just, he, it was stolen from him. And, uh, and the still shot that they set up to open the show with was Santa behind Big Bad John's back, and he had his big red gift bag that he'd been <laughs> carrying around all night held real high up over John's head. Uh, something bad was about to happen. So that's the way they wanted to open the show. And the Les let them do it. So after the show opened and Les welcomed everybody as usual, then the cameras backed away from the close-up, and there was old big bad John and Ronnie Garvin <laughs> standing up behind him, sitting on the desk with Les. That intriguing Santa Claus still shot with standing up behind big John was all all the way across the big, the big set back there, and it was pretty impressive. So John opened up the conversation, man, demanding right away that Les run the tape, and he did. And and John began to make their case, his and Garvin's, that Ronnie Garvin had been screwed out of his southeastern belt, and Robert Fuller should be leaving southeastern as Tanaka did the week before. So the video showed pretty clearly. It showed Santa smashed his big bag over Big John's head. And then it showed Santa Claus up on the apron and nailed Garvin in the back with his bag, <laughs> the back of his head, and, uh, and as he was preparing to jump off the top rope and finish Rob. So it showed Garvin sail completely over Rob's body and onto his back in the far corner of the ring. He was done. He was finished. The studio crowd was popping every time Santa did something in this video. They're watching this, and they're loving it. And uh, so when Rob crawled over to cover Garvin for the victory, the studio fans, by that point, they're on their feet. They're like, wow, we're loving this. Some of them had not seen that match, maybe. And uh, those that did, they loved it anyway, so they were just reliving the moment. So John and Garvin, they both screamed right away, that Santa Claus is Ron Fuller. You know? <laughs> Les calmly answered. Les loved this one, too. He never had the opportunity to do this very much, but 
He calmly answered him. He says, no, that's not Ron Fuller. That's Santa Claus. <laughs> and the studio audience, naturally, they broke up. They, they loved it. And uh, boy, John and Garvin, I mean, they they roared with anger, man. They they just got, wow. They, they screamed. Again, they screamed, that's Ron Fuller. That's Ron Fuller. And just about <laughs> the time the ref was counting Garvin out, they just kept screaming, that's Ron Fuller. So again, Les asked, why do you think that was Ron Fuller? He says, uh, he wasn't on the card last week. He wasn't even there in the building. I mean, he said Santa had been there in that building all night long. Boy, they just got, now they really got angry, you know. And the, and the, and the louder, the more angry they got, the louder the studio crowd was with their laughter. At this point, the studio crowd is really having a ball. They're laughing and applauding. And Les was having a great time with the video as well. So when the referee and the video raised Robert's hand, along with Santa, who was now in the ring, <laughs> Santa just uh, turned his bag upside down. He dumped this big steel chair out of it on the middle of the ring. And John screamed, stop the video right there. Stop the video. You know, and he was just about foaming at the mouth at this point. And he, he screamed to Les. He says, Thatcher, did you see that chair come out of Fuller's bag? <laughs> that, that was what he used to knock both of us unconscious. So Les says, whoa, whoa. He goes, do you mean Santa's bag? And, and is that the same chair you two guys used on Tanaka two weeks in a row before <laughs> y'all forced him out of Southeastern? And the crowd popped again, man. They were having a big day. John jumped up on his feet, man. Said, now he's standing by Garvin. He, and he points at the monitor and he says, look at that ridiculously tall Santa Claus. He goes, his red suit way too small for him. He says, because it's not Santa, it's Ron Fuller. <laughs> and Les very calmly just says, uh, I only see Santa there. <laughs> So uh, as Santa and Rob leave the ring, man, the fans mob him, and John's just about to bust at this point. And his face is red, and uh, so was Garvin. They were just really, really upset. So Les asked him, he says, uh, would you guys like to stay and see the rest of the video with me? <laughs> and uh, they, they stormed off the set, and the studio crowd went crazy. So uh, Les played the rest of the video and uh, because he knew why John and Garvin wasn't going to stay. It showed John with his big old black hat that he wore smashed down flat on his head, standing over an unconscious Garvin. Yeah. <laughs> this was the end of the video. And then he reached down to try to help Garvin up, and he lost his balance, and he fell on top of him. And the studio crowd got another pop. It was like, wow, they got the final pop. So they all deserved, I thought, some relief. And to two months I had spent putting heat on Garvin and Big Bad John. I <laughs> guess the fans needed a little bit of relief on their own. Hey, I tell you what, that's a great opening for the first TV show of 1977. All right, so how do you follow that? What comes next? Well, Ron Wright, he had a, his first match in 1977. He won that, and uh, he's going back to the set. And he's going to talk about his Cadillac tournament match in the upcoming uh, big card, which is the next afternoon. And, you know, I could do an entire hour, Dave, on, on just this one TV show. But I want to spend some of the remaining time in this stud test talking about the fantastic afternoon in the Coliseum that the fans had the next day. So before I do that, I'm going to give everyone the highlights of this first TV show of 1977. 
I'm not going to take the normal time because I, I, there's so much in this show that I really want to get to. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Golan, he had a new partner, obviously, uh, that's going to be the returning Dick Steinborn, who was the former gladiator. And they wrestled in the second match, a tag match. Uh, they get a great win. And uh, Jimmy Golan delivers a, a drop kick from the top rope that sends a guy into the second studio on his back. He slid into the studio B. You know, he kicked him not only out of the ring, he kicked him out of the studio. And at the same time, Steinborn was putting the sleeper hold on the other guy. So, uh, I mean, they had a tremendous win right there. And then during the TV match, during this match, the new gladiator, Jim Dalton, just walks out into the studio, stands there. He's wearing Dick Steinborn's old gladiator outfit. Immediately following the match, Jimmy and Steinborn, they go for their interview. They're going to be having a shot at the Southeastern Tag Championship the next afternoon. And Steinborn finishes with many questions about who was that wrestler standing out there doing less but wearing my outfit. You know, what the heck is going on here? He know nothing about what had been happening since he'd been hurt and gone. This little angle that I had an idea that, that might that might get over, it had legs. I could see it all right away, and it was going to be running alongside the big angles that were coming in 1977. Personality profile on this show was way over the top. I mean, the less interviewed live, the biggest, and in more ways than one, star so far in Southeastern TV history. And that could only be one guy, Andre the Giant, joined Les. He's live on the show, and he lit up a blown-away crowd. They never expected to see a guy like Andre the Giant on TV. And what was really good is he was all smiles, and he was extremely complimentary of Knoxville and Southeastern wrestling. He just, Mm. you know, made it plain. I like this part of the country. I feel at home. People treat me good. Andre had a way about him that really fans gravitated to. And toward the end of that uh, personality profile, Rob joined him. They talked about their tag team match the next day against Big Bad John and Ronnie Garvin. They talked about the battle royal and the $12,000 the two winners was going to be able to split. And, you know, after all this profile, which was about probably six, seven minutes long, if fans loved Andre before this profile, I guarantee you they were crazy about him afterward, man. Andre really, really got over as a great guy, which he was. He he was really a tremendous guy. And it came through. Were they at the set or in the ring for this? They were in the set. They were doing the the personality profile set in Studio B. But they were doing it live, so the fans were right there. They could see both of them. It was a great personality profile, one of the best. In and having ever. Andre on TV, there was nothing like it. When we were at home, we thought, holy cow, we can't miss this because Andre is on TV today. So I, oh, know yeah. I, I, I definitely understand the feeling there. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was a surprise. The fans didn't know he was in town. He had wrestled the night before, but it was in a city outside Knoxville. People were dialing up on the party line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Guys on TV. (laughs) There you go, man. (laughs) So, you know, the, you know, then the next match is another tag match. And if this one is Garvin and big bad John, their first ever tag match together on television. And they literally, as you would well imagine, destroyed two young baby faces. Oh, this God, it was it was horrible because they were upset because of what had happened to them on the opening of the show. 
And then they went for their interview after that match. And they made a big promise on their interview that they were going to do something that no one had ever done. They were going to, between the two of them, beat Andre the Giant in the middle of the ring. And then they were going to win that battle royal and take the $12,000 in money. <laughs> you know. And then the show closed, man, with another pop as Bob Armstrong entered the studio. I mean, and he tore fans up with all, as always, his enthusiastic match. And he threw in a little bit of karate to boot. And then he went to the set to make the last interview. And it began, the last interview segment began with a video interview from Memphis with the United States heavyweight champion, Jerry Lawler. And Lawler had some nasty things to say about Bob Armstrong. And it was very true. There was a lot of ill feelings between those two guys because they had had such a long history of championship matches for several belts in the history of Memphis. I mean, Bob had been in and out there many times. That was the home of Jerry Lawler. Uh, there were a lot of belts that those two guys fought over. So now what had been happening on the other side of the state, Knoxville was going to get a real feel for the very next afternoon. They were going to see two future Hall of Famers tear the Coliseum down the next afternoon. Wow. So Bob made the fact really clear uh, after he had watched the interview that he had brought the, you know, the TV audience uh, were standing up when he finished this interview, told him exactly what to expect the next afternoon in his match. But he didn't stop with just his match. He laid out an afternoon he called the greatest wrestling card he had ever been on. Now, he ran down every match about fans are going to see things tomorrow they have never seen in this city and may never see again. So I'm quite sure every one of those thousands and thousands of people out there watching on that Saturday, January 1st, from their television homes, were standing on their feet as well, man. Wow. No doubt. All right, y'all. Don't leave. This is a a good spot to take a break. We'll do that. Andre, the Giants on this show, the Mongolian Stompers on this show. This stud cast will continue in a moment right here. Ron has been making history with each Super Studcast since the first one about Andre the Giant. Super Studcast number 36 ends one of the world's worst years, but his final Super Studcast for 2020 is the perfect foe for COVID. WWE Hall of Famer Coco Beware gets it off to a roaring start, covering the wrestling with his phenomenal journey from small town Tennessee to WWE at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Then, the very merry Fuller Brothers Christmas special begins. The Fullers take patrons on a ride into their family's Christmas past. Amazing stories never told from a family known for stories. A Christmas guest joins them to add more Christmas cheer of his own. Cousin Jimmy Golden makes this Christmas time Super Studcast complete at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours of history and hilarity for only $2.99. If you've never heard of one of these unique events, this is the the place to start the best deal in wrestling hey welcome back to another studcast david summers here with the tennessee stud ron fuller don't forget tnstud.com if you didn't get what you wanted for christmas maybe you got cash tnstud.com always autograph photos of the stud there might be t-shirts left over black and blue autograph copies of ron's new novel brutus plus 
and they were going fast, there could be some left, an incredible historical DVD collection loaded with matches and interviews from the Continental and Southeastern wrestling days. TNstud.com is the stud's home on the internet. You got to check it out. All right, we're loaded up. We're ready to ride, and Montezuma's Revenge is ready to slowly hit the trail. So where to next, Stud? Yeah, very slowly, probably. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I've been like lightning Easy, today, boy. man. I've been, I've been kind of like my horse today, man, chomping at the bit, all Studcast uh, for this, man, to just be able to talk about what happened that, that day. We're going to break down probably one of one of what I think may be in one of the greatest days in Southeastern wrestling's history, man. January 2nd, 1977. It sets the tone for everything that's going to happen afterward. And uh, it's going to put us on the road to uh, astounding success. So I went out of the dressing room that afternoon at 315 uh, and, and uh, I'm not on the cart. And, um, and I've got a great place I go and, and see these matches in the Coliseum that uh, people can't see me. And it's behind a big old curtain that we'll talk about later. This was about 15 minutes after the opening bell had rung. The, and the crowd, when I first looked at it, it looked like it was bigger than the Terry Funk world title card already. You know, it was a massive crowd. And, uh, and fans were still outside buying tickets at this point. The first of the three Cadillac matches that day had just finished with Rip Smith winning over Louis Tillette. And Tillette was uh, one of almost uh, half of the original 18 wrestlers in the tournament that was now eliminated. That was his second loss. The new gladiator, Jim Dalton, went to the ring to a loud chorus of boos. And then Ron Wright appeared from the back of the Coliseum. And I swear, I could I could tell instantly that this was going to be a day like few others, man. Uh, the applause was deafening. It, it, the kind of it was the kind of uh, applause that created goosebumps on me, man. <laughs> Those goosebumps usually only came from massive crowds, and and usually I was wrestling before that happened. This I just standing there watching him go to the ring and listen to that crowd. So I began to realize how many were here that had been getting turned away at the Chihai Park building for the last nine weeks. We mm. had these turnaway crowds uh, one weekend after another. And the Coliseum, now where many of the older fans before Southeastern arrived in Knoxville, uh, they said, they told me a lot of them uh, when I asked them, well, what happens if we move to the Coliseum? They said, we don't feel at home there. Obviously, that day they were eating those words. I'll guarantee you they were in that crowd, all those old timers. And those cheers for Ron Wright with all those older fans out there <laughs> in the Coliseum, it was beautiful. Uh, the The beautiful thing now was that there was thousands of new fans added to it, though. People that are, this is going to be the first wrestling match they ever saw. And uh, they were screaming right along with those older fans. They wow. had become fans from watching TV. I, I was so overcome by the experience, Dave. I, tears ran down my face. I hate to say it. You know, I'm almost ashamed to say it. I had to turn and go into the dressing room. Ryan, that, I mean, but that's what I love about you, dude. Your humbleness. I mean, it had to be a moment in your life that you realized you had enhanced so many other lives from what you had done. And the, the sense of accomplishment to watch this thing grow. And you were the pilot the whole time, dude. That's that's huge right there, bro. 
Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a strange, it was a strange feeling, but got a wonderful feeling, a really wonderful feeling. And that's a, that's a good way of putting it. And I appreciate you saying it that way. I mean, but you know, Dave, it wasn't, it wasn't me. Uh, it, it was God that made that day. And, and, and all the successes I had in my life, they, they came from the same place. And, uh, and that's, mm. that's the way I looked at it. Well said. Absolutely well said, Ron. All right. So what happened in the second match that day? So Ron Wright was given the new gladiator a good old Tennessee dog whooping. Yeah, I knew it. He was taking <laughs> care of business, man. Here we go. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the gladiator, the gladiator shot him into the referee on purpose, you know, trying to get us a little break so that Ron could get off of him a little bit and he could get himself straightened up. Mm-hmm. And then when Ron Wright finally got to his feet, the gladiator put the sleeper hold on him. So just about the time, though, he put the sleeper hold on him, the day before, uh, the gladiator had gotten gone out there in the studio and let Dick Steinborn see him. So all of a sudden, about the time the gladiator puts that sleeper hold on Ron, suddenly there's Dick Steinborn standing looking at him right at ringside. You know, they were eye to eye, and the gladiator dropped the sleeper hold on Ron Wright. He he made a move like he was going to get to Steinborn. And uh, just as he bent through the ropes, old Ron Wright just dropped down behind him, kind of schoolboyed him backwards over top of him and put him into a pinning position. The ref counted the gladiator out, and, boy, there was an explosion in the crowd. Man, wow, they love to see old Ron Wright win. And the gladiator... He fired up on his feet, but he looking for Steinborn, but Steinborn was gone. Fast as he came, he was gone. And that was the Bassman's second loss in the Cadillac tournament, and he was eliminated that day from any chance of winning the car. So the angle just began to cook between uh, Steinborn and the Gladiator. So someone in the third match on this card was going to change Southeastern wrestling forever. You know, and as a booker, and then everybody knows my brother and I are both at this point booking. That's why I'm off. I'm off on Christmas. I'm off on this show. Uh, I've been working real hard for two years, and uh, my brother's kind of helping me handle things. So we talked about this guy and this match, and we agreed that this guy was the future of wrestling for us at Southeastern. He was going to be the first time that Southeastern fans had ever seen him. Uh, Rob and I agreed that we we dedicated this day to this guy. We were determined to get him over in one day. We wanted him to make an impression like no other wrestler had ever made on their first day in not just Southeastern, but any territory. And by golly, that's just about exactly what happened that day. Hmm. Don Cornoodle was in this Cadillac tournament match. He had been in Southeastern for three months at this point. He had gotten over well, uh, but his big days were ahead of him because he's going to go back to the Mid-Atlantic Territory when he finishes at Southeastern, a much better wrestler. He's going to become partners with one of the big names of all time, Sergeant Slaughter, and they are going to tear that territory <laughs> up over there. Wow. So, so on this day, though, Don Cornoodle is going to do a tremendous job. Uh, and he knows it and he wants to do it. I mean, he understands when we talk to him the importance of what's about to happen uh, with this guy that's just coming in the territory. And uh, and he's not the only one. There's going to be other guys that's going to do, do the same thing for this guy this day. 
We wanted to have a lasting impression made in, in one day. So when the bell rang, not a single person in the building other than the wrestlers and referee had any idea what they were about to see. I could tell you that. Don Canoodle went to the ring. He got a great reception from the fans. And that was wonderful because back there looking at it as a booker, it told me that I had the right guy in the ring. <laughs> I had a guy in there that was going to be meaningful. What happened to him was going to be meaningful. In the back of the Coliseum, there was this huge black curtain that went across the entire width of the building. It was about 100 feet tall, and uh, you know it hid the wrestlers. They could stand back there and watch the matches behind that black curtain and not be seen, and also hid them, uh, the dressing rooms as well. And baby faces would go out on one side of this big black curtain, and the heels would go out on the other side. So on the opposite side of the building for where Canoodle had entered the main arena, the Mongolian stomper by himself, Whoa. no manager, he burst through that black curtain and he just paced fiercely toward the ring. <laughs> like he had a mission in mind. Yeah. He looked absolutely unbelievable, man. His body was covered in oil. He had oiled himself up. They'd done push-ups and, and whatever he could to get wow. his, get a pump. His muscles rippled, man, from his head down to those tall black boots that he wore and the the fans were kind of making some noise in anticipation of this new guy that's about to enter the ring. But as soon as he burst through that curtain, there was a gasp came from the people. In other words, the first look, the whole crowd went, <gasps> they kind of like sucked in air like, God, what, what is, is that? that? <laughs> you know? And that was followed by absolute silence. I mean, they just couldn't believe it. And uh, everything about them, about this guy, was horrifying for him at first sight, you could tell. And, you know, Stomper was 6'5", he was 300-plus pounds, and he was solid muscle, man, uh, and, and nastiness. <laughs> he looked it, and he was it, man. And uh, his appearance scared everyone in the building, man, and, and that was only the beginning. So he stepped into the ring, and the announcer, Phil Rainey, was a short, small guy. He uh, began to uh, announce the wrestlers. So Stomper charged across the ring, and Phil Rainey threw the microphone on the mat and ran. <laughs> he, <laughs> he never introduced the match. He, he wow. was scared. as like the fans. He, he ran. He just threw the microphone down. He ran and got, oh, and he almost put his arms around the timekeeper like, oh, God, please, what, what's going to happen here? So then there was kind of another gasp from the crowd because, I mean, Stomper started on poor Canoodle, and he was pounding him. And Canoodle went down face first on the mat, and Stomper began to do what his name implied. He began to stomp him senseless, man. Wow. I mean, and then he jerked him up, and he fired him into the ropes, and he kicked him in the stomach so hard. You could tell he just booted and had that big old foot anyway. He wore like a size 20 shoe. He hit him in the stomach with that big black boot. The fans did the same thing Canoodle did. You Ooh. could hear them. The, they gave the noise that Canoodle did. They went, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, no. Wow. You know, 5,000 people all losing their breath at the same time as Don Canoodle did. Oh, you know, and Don fell onto his back, and boy, the, the the maniac Mongol man, he ran to the ropes, and he charged back over to the top of the prone canoodle man. He stopped, 
and he raised his boot high up in the air and he stomped Don Canuto right in the face. Wow. The crowd was another, it was another, ooh, like, God, what in the heck? You know, and it, it, it reminded me of the Japanese crowd. When somebody, you never got anything from a Japanese crowd unless mm-hmm. somebody got hurt. Mm-hmm. Some move was so violent that the fans would go, ooh. Wow. Well, that's what they did. And yeah. Yeah, it was like, that reminded me instantly of Japan. So Canoodle began to bleed. And Stomper stood over top of him. He just looked down at him. And uh, mm-hmm. suddenly he charged to the ropes. And he came back again and stomped him in the face. And then he did it a third time. And now Don was a bloody mess. And the fans were just absolutely speechless. It was silence. It was like, wow, they, they didn't know how to take it. Stomper dropped down on top of him. He got the three count. Uh, Don Canuto is going to get carried out after this. And he's not going to be able, obviously, to come back in the battle royal. But mm-hmm. Stomper, on his way back to the dressing room, he went back just like he came in this fierce manner, man, like he was just he couldn't wait to get back there. And there was a few fans that got caught in the highway between him and the back of the building. And those <laughs> fans screamed. I watched them. They screamed and they ran. They ran for cover. Kind of like uh, the stomper was my Brutus <laughs> in, in my book. man. I mean, it's like they were scared of him as if he'd have been a lion. Hey, or a dinosaur. Me, I mean, remind me, was this was this the first time they had ever seen the Mongolian Stomper? First time they had so ever he had seen not him. been on TV prior to this. Never, never. Wow. He had never. They had never seen this guy, and this was his first match. Yeah. So in in all my six years in the sport, I had never seen anyone do that to a crowd. I mean, when he disappeared behind the curtain, you could hear the entire crowd. They took a breath. As if they hadn't breathed since he got to, it came out, you know. And then a little buzz went through the crowd <laughs> as fans began to to talk to each other, and 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 you could see they were conveying their feelings about what the hell they'd just seen. Like, wow, what in the heck was that? You know. And the great thing about this card was the fact that he wasn't over. He's coming back again in the battle royal. Holy cow! Are you serious, Rod? Who, who wouldn't have been horrified at that guy? I mean, the first time I remember the first time I saw him and I went, Oh my God, what is that? So it had to be when he was at Southeastern and he came to the Gulf coast. So that is just absolutely incredible. And ex- what an experience for that crowd. All right. So what was next on this unreal card? Well, one of the greatest matches in Southeastern fans ever saw probably was Bob Armstrong. Uh, he won the United States championship from Jerry Lawler in that match that day. Uh, that match was absolutely fantastic. They're going to switch that belt back and forth between them because Jarrett and I are working together. Uh, he's going to send me Lawler sometimes, and I'm going to send him Bob Armstrong sometimes. Those two guys are going to start to work against each other a lot. It was a tremendous use of that championship belt. Uh, the, the fan favorite was going to win it in, the, in their own territory, and then they were going to go to the other territory and lose it back to the guy that was the star in that territory. Uh, and it was great not only for the fans, but it was great for Bob and for Jerry Lawler because they are going to work the sellouts, man, uh, in both territories for a couple of years there, just swapping belts back and mm-hmm. forth. Yeah. So next match was the Southeastern Tag Championship, Jimmy Golden and Dick Steinborn. And uh, without a mask, uh, 
And Steinborn's not wearing a mask. They're wrestling the champions, Kurt and Carl Von Steiger. It was another great match. It ended with the champions getting disqualified and saved their belts, obviously. And this match is going to return the following Sunday for the belts again. But it's going to be the next time, but no DQ. And the fall is going to have to be won by submission. So the sixth match was probably the most anticipated match so far in this card. Andre the Giant returns to Knoxville and his partners with my brother Rob. And they're going to wrestle against Big Bad John and Ronnie Garvin. And this match, Dave, was just... It, the surprise in this match was Ronnie Garvin, to be honest with you. It was a much better match than I really anticipated it was going to be because Ronnie Garvin took it to Andre. Really? I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, he just... He was not going to be bullied or scared. And uh, it surprised Rob and I both so much that after the match, we talked. And the match ended with uh, Big Bad John losing the match. He got pinned by Andre. Mm -hmm. But uh, later down the road, Rob and I talked. We said, we're going to book Andre the Giant against Ronnie Garvin in a singles match. And when that match happens, it's going to freak out wrestling fans. In that match, Garvin, in essence, is going to beat Andre the Giant. Uh-uh. One-on-one. I wow. mean, he hits him with a chair. He jumps off the top rope in his throat four or five times. I mean, it is he. They those two guys are going to have an unbelievable match uh, down the road. Talk and, about uh, getting Garvin over. That's That's incredible. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he really loved Garvin because... The Giants spent a lot of time. He spoke French. He's a Frenchman. He was. Uh, he loved it being Montreal, and that's where Garvin is from. And they're two think, Frenchmen, and they they really had a lot of respect for each other. Do you think they communicated in the ring in French? I mean, did that help Andre? Uh, yes, I think it obviously did. I think it helped Garvin in the match as well. And uh, you know the the fact that they were both French, uh, you know, and then uh, been in that part of the country in Montreal. The Giants spent many years in Montreal when he first mm -hmm. came to North America before coming to America. Yeah. So yeah, it it really uh, helped. So them. even it, though they were yeah, even though they were opponents, a little bit of kinship there for Andre. Yes. And yes. and for Garvin, yeah. Not only that, uh, he's going to have other people that are going to be here, and as time goes by, uh, Joe LaDuke out of Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of Montreal guys. And Andre loved to come to Southeastern because he had friends. He had people that could speak his language. He was really, really, really in love with Southeastern wrestling. So as I said, later down the road, Ronnie Garvin is going to have an unbelievable match with Andre the Giant. So fans had seen it all that day. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, there was one more match that was, that it was one of the most exciting matches in all of wrestling. And that was the two-ring triple chance battle royal. And the winners are going to get the $12,000. And a quick explanation of this most unusual match might be necessary. For those that, that out there have never seen a two-ring battle royal, you may not know how these things work. So basically, in this Coliseum, which is huge, we've got two 20-foot square rings set up apron to apron, side by side, in mm -hmm. the center of the building. And it provided... A Different ring side setup, obviously, because now your ring is twice as long as it yeah. is yeah. as it used to be. And so there's more ringside seats available when you have a two-ring battle royal. And during the course of this afternoon, each new match 
is going to change rings. You're not going to have every match in one ring. You have one match in that ring, and then the next match is in the different ring. Yeah. So cool. that yeah. way, people did it did made it good for everybody to be able to see well, yeah. and it made it equal for everybody in the building. That building had great sight lines anyway. I mean, everybody could see from wherever they were in that building. So it began with all 16 men on the card, started out, and everybody starts out in the same ring, in ring one, and you had to be eliminated. To be eliminated, you had to be thrown into ring two, obviously, and the last two guys in ring one are going to have a tag match with the last two guys that are in ring two, and the winners of that tag match is going to win the $12,000. Hence, that's why they call it the triple chance. You're in ring one, you're in ring two, and then you have a tag match. You have three chances to win. Fans were so ready for this one that they exploded when the bell rang. It was unbelievable. As I was standing out there, they rang the bell for it, and the crowd popped just having the bell ring. All the contestants came to the ring. They were introduced as they entered, uh, one at a time. And the announcer introduced everybody as they were coming in. And as I said earlier, Don Canoodle was not going to be there because of what had happened to him. And the Mongolian Stomper doesn't come to the ring when everybody else did the opening of the match. He's not to be seen. So the bell rang and the big match started, obviously. And uh, three or four men had already been thrown in the ring, too, when the Stomper arrived at ringside. You know, the match had already began. And when he got in the ring, he shot across the ring. And Garvin and Big Bad John, the Von Steigers, were trying to get Big Andre out. And, boy, he jumped right in there with them. They dumped Andre into ring two. That's how they got him out of ring one. And then uh, then, uh, the uh, fight continued, obviously, in ring one. But now you've got to fight in ring two. That's what's great about these two ring royals is you, you don't know where to look. It's happening everywhere. Two rings. It's all going on at the same time. So Rob and Jimmy are working together in ring one, and, and that's what you had to do. You had to have some type of uh, partnership to be able to win these things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you wanted to work together to try to get everybody out. And then you were going to have a partner that you could deal with when you got to the last of the match. And so Rob and Jimmy, they managed to win in ring one. And they stood there in the ring, which because the Royals still going on in ring two, they stood there for probably six or eight minutes and watched what was going on in ring two to see who they were going to end up having to wrestle. At this point, Andre got eliminated, and and most of ring two helped to get him out when he was thrown out of that ring. And uh, and then uh, the Von Steigers were in there, Garvin was in there, and Stomper started clearing that ring. Of all people, he ends up in that ring with Ron Wright. So you got Ron Wright and the Mongolian Stomper in ring two, and you got Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden in ring one. Now the Stomper, he's got no manager. He's just going crazy. So he's supposed to now be partners with Ron Wright, and instead of letting Ron Wright catch his breath, he starts beating Ron Wright up. He just starts working over Ron Wright in there. (laughs) You know? And I mean, he, he, he bloodies him up. Ron's bleeding and, uh, Jimmy and Rob are watching from ring two. And they finally say, well, heck, we got to go over there and help Ron Wright. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, even though that they're going to be wrestling against him in this match, in this tag match, 
So uh, Stomper's just crazy, man. He's working right over the announcers. Uh, you know, he's he's trying to set up the final stage of the of the tag match, and uh, and he just rings the bell. They ring the bell. It's pretty much pandemonium. Stomper's just uh, making the whole day of pandemonium, <laughs> and he's now he's beating the heck out of Ron Wright. And the building's in shock. Uh, they know that, you know, what is he doing? He's beating up his own partner. Right. So, you know, nobody could believe what was happening. So finally, the stomper turns his attention away from right, and he sees Rob and Jimmy standing in the other corner. Boy, he just charged across the ring, man, and they rang the bell. Finally, something's going to happen tag-wise. And uh, he grabbed Rob, and he wheeled him over the top rope, and he grabbed him up, and he shot him into the ropes, and he kicked him in the stomach with that big old boot. And then he bounced off the ropes and he came back and he, he stopped over top of him. And then just like he had done to Cornoodle, he stomped him right in the face. Oh. And, uh, and blood went off everywhere, man. Then he charged over and he grabbed Jimmy. And you know, that had been a tag or anything. He just grabbed Jimmy and he flung him over the top rope, threw him in and did the same thing to him. You know, <laughs> and then he'd spent probably, uh, Five trips to the ropes, stomping both of them in the face. He'd stomp one, then go back, stomp the other one. And Jimmy's bleeding now, too. So, you know, the right's bleeding, uh, Jimmy's bleeding, Rob's bleeding. I mean, uh, so he covers Jimmy, finally. And uh, there's a three count. And the bell's rung. The battle roar's officially over. But he wasn't finished. <laughs> he wasn't over yet. Wow. So there's poor Ron Wright. He's hanging in the corner. He's a winner. I mean, the stompers won the money for him, right? But mm -hmm. he's still hanging there because he ain't got over Stomper's beating. And Stomper goes back and gets him again. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he, he shoots him over into the ring. He throws him in. He gives him the kick in the stomach. He stomps him in the face. I mean, it's like the people are just like, what in the world is this guy all about? So now the ring announcer, he's got two checks for the winners. And uh, that's the way we always did it. You wrote a blank check and you... You know, I signed him, and uh, and he had the checks with him, uh, but he was too afraid to get in the ring with the stomper to present him the checks, right? So, <laughs> so he gets on the microphone, and he announces, and he says, the winners of the tag team and the winners of the money is the Mongolian stomper and Ron Wright. And at that point, probably the strangest part of the whole afternoon happens. Rainey's refusing to get in the ring for his own safety. So he finally gets up on the apron of the ring and he reaches his hand out and, and Stomper takes one of the checks. Okay. Uh -huh. And Stomper grabbed the check and he shoved it in his mouth. He <laughs> chewed it up and swallowed it. <laughs> <laughs> so Rainey had Ron Wright's check and he handed it over to him and Stomper took his check and he chewed it up and swallowed Ron Wright's oh my check. God. Oh my God. <laughs> so, Everybody in the building by this point is horrified. And so when he gets out of the ring, instead of going back to the dressing room the way he had come to the ring both times, he charged into the crowd. And, oh, then it was God. It was unbelievable. The crowd was scattering. It looked like uh, Brody and Hanson coming to the ring in Japan. <laughs> I mean, whoa, everybody. It was It was pandemonium. I mean, people were running in all directions and, it was pandemonium, but at the same time, Kotz, it was it was the greatest first impression I'd ever seen any wrestler have in my career. Yeah, he was an overnight sensation. Standing in the back of the Coliseum, man, I was like Jim Barnett. 
I, I looked out there and I said, I can see nothing but money, money, money. Man, Ron, that was absolutely crazy. Maybe the best stud cast ever. And that says a lot because you're on episode number 180. We already passed the hour and obviously not going to have time for the learning tree today. But I don't think fans are going to mind if we miss it this one time. We'll get to it on the next stud cast. That's a promise. This one has been mind-blowing in so many ways. I wish it wasn't over. That was absolutely a phenomenal debut for the Mongolian Stomper. That that was cool. And how long would he be with you thereafter? He's never going to leave. Oh wow! So he <laughs> he is a permanent he's a permanent he, part of the freak he show. He is he is going <laughs> to he is going to light up Southeastern, and uh, he's going to make a few shots for people in Memphis. But he will not leave my company until we're in Pensacola and been there for two years. So he's he's just going to become a part, a fixture of, and uh, and one of the greatest athletes in the history of the business too. What a phenomenal athlete he was! That was a lot of fun. I I have to go back to the uh, the Terry Funk match and and those couple of episodes, which I thought were really good. But I think you actually topped that. All right, folks on Facebook, simply like and follow Ron on the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page and become friends with a legend. At Twitter and Instagram, it's Ron Fuller Welch on both. Super Studcast number 36 with Coco Beware. And the very merry Fuller Brothers Christmas special is just that. It's special at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Find out more about Ron's novel, Brutus, by going to his Facebook page, author Ron Fuller Welch at Amazon.com and put in Brutus novel or TNstud.com. Click stud store and get an autographed copy right there. Plus, don't miss the final weeks for the Southeastern Continental Classic five pack of DVDs. Get them at TNstud.com. Click stud store. Only $39.99 includes shipping for 60 matches, 12 hours of the best old school wrestling ever. That is pretty awesome. All right. Any idea where we're headed next week, Ron? Well, I guess after I've uh, taken up the whole show, I guess we're going to owe fans, obviously, the untold Andre the Giant story I didn't get to today, and I apologize for that. Uh, and uh, we're going to get to that learning tree question that I didn't get to. And uh, and I want to apologize for taking to, so long to explain this great day of January 2nd, 1977. <laughs> but I tell you what, I wanted to do it and everybody that was involved in it. I wanted to do them justice for what they provided the fans on that day, the excitement and the thrills and the horror that they saw on that day. And uh Days and shows like this one that we talked about today are rare, and and they were beautiful. They were they were beautiful things, man. For a wrestler and a promoter and a booker, they were absolute things of beauty. And uh, and I hope everyone has enjoyed this. For sure, yeah. So the next cut cast, I mean, we're going to be riding into week two, obviously, in 1977. Uh, we're going to have another great Coliseum card, and we'll have a TV uh, that promotes that card. The next uh, today's training is going to put us under the promoter's hat. Uh, we're going to con be continuing that southeastern tradition 
of billboard advertising. We're going to talk about it. We're going to run them again in 77. We're going to take them up another notch. You know, we'll talk about that in the in the today's training and uh, and the, the learning tree question is definitely that we missed today will be answered next week. So be, before we end this podcast, I have to admit, you know, I've, I've been extremely excited about getting to this 1977 time frame because I know everything that's going to happen in Southeastern from here on out. And and I, if fans have listened to the studcast up until now, and there's been thousands and thousands and thousands that say they, they, they have, and uh, and they love it, they have no idea what they're going to experience in 1977. It's going to be a whole new ball game for fans, I think. Awesome. And, uh, you know, and, and I'd like to, as always, thank fans for all over the world for listening. And, uh, Tell your friends about us and uh, and keep riding with us every week. Uh, take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us. There is no place in wrestling podcast where you can hear anything like this, and that's the truth. Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.